and welcome to Ear Read This, where today we are talking about The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. My name's Ash. And my name's Adam. How are you doing, Adam? I'm okay. This continues our track of talking about slightly picaresque novels. This one, I think, was one that we'd picked before we realised it could fit into the theme we were exploring. And how well. Yes. There are many aspects and factors of this that we did not expect to fit in so well, but we'll get to that. Well, beginning with the fact that Kenneth Graham was born in Edinburgh. Because of a bloody course he was. I mean, who, which, which writers weren't born in Edinburgh at exactly. this point? Exactly. Uh, 1859. So we could have, if we'd been bothered, worked out the actual <laughs> day and made sure it hits, what, the 70th? Anniversary of Wind in the Willows? I don't know. We're not a maths podcast. Fuck it. <laughs> um... Yeah, so I've been reading a, a little bit about Kenneth Graham, mostly from the introduction to, to yeah. the uh, the Wind in the Willows edition I read. 200,000 words is his entire output of his whole career. How many of those is Wind in the Willows? Wind in the Willows, four. Um, <laughs> but it's his only novel, I think. Yeah. It's, a, it's mostly it's a short stories he wrote, It's our it? first book for yeah. children that we've done, unless you count 20,000 Leagues. Is it? I think, shall we, shall, shall we get into... Whether or not it's for children now or later. Uh, let's get into it now. Let's get into it now. <laughs> is, it, is it for children? Uh, yes. Well, he, he, I think did, primarily. <laughs> I think it was intended for children. He, he wrote it for children. Uh, well, he wrote it for a child. He, 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 oh. It came to be through uh, letters he wrote to his son, oh. whose nickname was My Dearest Mouse. Well, no, it was Mouse, but all the letters start My Dearest Mouse. That's really nice. And uh, he, uh, the letters like are, I mean, almost verbatim some sections of Wind in the Willows. There's a little bit of huh. tying together he does. That's very it, um, very Tolkien-like. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it certainly had adult... Uh, Themes, definitely. No, adult audience. Yeah. Um, a big fan of it was Theodore Roosevelt. Really? Who wrote to Kenneth Graham saying... Uh, I, I would love to hunt and kill all of the characters <laughs> in your book. Well, you would expect that, yeah. Um, but he said, I've read it, I've reread it, and I've come to count these characters as close friends or something That's like that. That's incredibly sweet. Uh, he was, I think he was, he was pivotal in getting it published in the States. That's fantastic. Because it was a huge hit. Well, my first introduction to Wind in the Willows was through... Adam, where did you first come across Wind in the Willows? In a, in a charity shop bin. No. Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, I know I, I first... It would have been... Uh, it was an animation. It was ah. as an animation. And connected to that animation was an in interactive pc game but it wasn't like it wasn't like an actual video game it was like uh it was like sort of tableaus of the animated film when you hovered over it it would give you uh, that period yeah it would give you voiceovers of somebody reading the excerpts of the book that were related to that nice event and i became quite obsessed with it as a child and we had the audio book the bbc audio book yeah, it was um, <laughs> hard hard uh, freak, freak, frequent sex and drug use. Yeah, yeah. but no, it was um, we we had it in the car as an audiobook as well. Oh yeah, me, us, we did as well. The the um, I, I can still hear the sort of pipe music that was the theme tune in my head. I can still hear Alan Bennett's voice oh, reading it. Perfect voice. It's a perfect voice for subject it. matter. A couple of other things about Kenneth. So it's it's published in 1908. Yep. Uh, another thing I found is that the year before, and he's a sort of a, he's an odd character, Kenneth Graham. He worked at a bank. Yeah, and then he and then he started writing when he left the bank, didn't he? Yeah, um, but not in a sort of T.S. Eliot or Kafkaish way, where yeah. 
writing was always the private life. He seems to have just worked at a bank, quit, and then decided... I'm going to do a bit of writing. I'll do a bit of writing. I think he did some some earlier writing too, but he did say about... Asked if he was a writer, he re- responded, no, I never have been and never will be by the reason of the accident that I don't need any money. Well, that's certainly... Pretty, that's, a, uh, that's a pretty conclusive answer there. He also said that he despised the idea of notoriety and found it distasteful. Um, and well, he, sorry, he would, never, he would never get any uh, moment's rest if he became a writer. So it's it's a different age, an age of uh, author stardom. So this was this was him writing purely for his own interest then? Yeah, or his sons. Yeah. Um, uh, but weirdly, the year before he started writing Wind in the Willows, mm-hmm. a man called George Robinson, it's definitely Robinson, I can't remember if it's George, I think George Robinson, walks into his bank... Asks to see Kenneth Graham, hands him a big black manuscript, uh, like a, almost, and says almost like a Christmas cracker, take one end of this. Kenneth Graham does. The guy pulls out a gun and shoots at him three times. Manages to miss all three times. But uh, it was it, after that, I think he quit the bank and began writing Wind in the Willows. So it was a near-death experience that sort of that, triggered this. Yeah, and perhaps perhaps gave him a... A dose that he might not have needed, but a dose of thinking how brutal and um, scary the, out, the, the outside world is. Well, I think that's a very good start to where Wind in the Willows begins, yeah. with um, Molly's sick of doing his spring cleaning. Yes. Scro- and he comes scrooging out of his burrow, scraping and scrooging. Scraping. Uh, I love so scrooging as a verb. Scrooging as a verb, yeah. So yeah, Molly is living underground in his burrow, doing some spring cleaning. He can hear spring going on up above him, uh, but he he's always been a little bit down. too. Af- he's been a little bit too afraid of the outside world to ever really see what the spring is all about. Yeah, and he just in a moment of complete compulsion, compulsion, he scrooges his way out of his burrow. There are mate. There are four key characters in The Wind and the Willows, and they are quite distinct. How would you describe Moley? Um, well, all, all, they're, all, they're, they're all archetypal. And Moley is the archetypal fish out of water, lived a comfortable life. He's, he's Bilbo. He's taken from his, his, his seat of comfort and thrust out into a world that he isn't quite prepared for, but finds out he's actually more suited to than he realises. He's, mm. he's that sort of... Sort of the meek adventurer archetype. Yeah, I, and and he's quite conflicted about the very idea of adventure because he's, yeah. he's very home comforty. Yeah, um, and he's also he's also the animal that knows the animal world the least. So yeah. we get to uh, well, we're to we're seeing it through his eyes. Truffle into yeah. it through his nose. Some something I'd actually completely forgotten about was there are actually humans in this book. We'll get to that. Yeah, hold that thought. Because that's one of that's a very peculiar thing. So there's Mole. He comes scrooging out of his burrow, and he sees a brown whiskered face that becomes the water rat, which is Ratty. The water vole, actually. Well, the water rat in this. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not Voley. Moley and Voley. Well, he's a, he's he, he's a vole, but they call him Ratty. Is that true? Yeah. I thought he was a water vole. He's got. He's much more. He's got the character of a vole. I could see him. <laughs> Being a vault. So why do they call him a rat? This this is the argument that ends the podcast. <laughs> no, I can see what you mean. He's he's he hasn't got any really ratty uh, features. But I then think... it's very peculiar <clears throat> because they he he makes he takes pains to distinguish each of his characters as the mole 
the rat, later the badger, the toad. Well, the, the way I looked at it was that he'd, he'd made him not a rat because of all the negative connotations that a rat-like character would have. But he couldn't call him Vole because Moly Voli. Yeah. Fair enough. That's just, that's just the way I'd read it. I mean, it could be a, I was about to say a translation. I mean, it, ma- it makes no sense. I don't think there is such thing as a river rat. I'm not sure. Do you want to do a podcast pause and a clean cut and we'll, we'll come back with a definitive answer? <laughs> no, I think we've muddled through. I think yeah. we've, yeah, I, I think you're probably right. There is a sea rat later, yeah. which also makes no sense. No. There's no sea rats. There's certainly no sea voles. Well, I'm assuming what's meant by the sea rat is the kind of rat that would stow away on a ship, you know. Yeah, yeah. So Ratty, also quite home comfort-y, but a bit more successful. Well, he writes <laughs> doggerel. A, a, a bit of a gentleman. Kind of dandyish yeah. in a way. He's a he's he's a he's a sort of Georgian gentleman of leisure. Yeah, in a way, he um has his sort of riverfront house. Yeah. he enjoys his the things that he enjoys. And again, the river, the river. When Moli says it's nice, he says nice. It's the only thing. Yes, there's this very there's this telescoping of the world. There is the rat, the mole, the river. Yes, and there's no suggestion of there might be another rat. There might be another river. Exactly. Yeah. Um, first funny little connection to something we've talked about before. Uh-huh. Ratty has a brace of pistols that he goes to <laughs> immediately when trouble, uh, <laughs> trouble beckons, just like Dr. Johnson <laughs> wields in, um, before going to Scotland. Yeah, he's, um, he's, he's told to leave his weapons behind in case he incites another war. Yeah, Scotland, the, the wild woods of the, the frontier, world. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Ratty, it's, 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 he's, he's basically like the friend who's got his life together. Mole comes scrooging out of his hole, half blind, yeah. um, having lived on his own for too long, probably stinking, yeah. and runs into this immaculate water rat or vole, yeah. who I see as wearing a kind of uh, striped suit, yeah, maybe a, a cane. I always, in, in my head, he was always wearing a sort of tweed country suit. You know, he was, he was in, in his element. But no, tweed isn't summery enough. I think <laughs> I think he needs that kind of bathing suit coloured. Sure. Okay. E- either way, whatever he's wearing, he's got pistols strapped to it. I, yeah, he's definitely got pistols. Um, third character, Toad. Toad. Who Toad provides the plot, which we'll get to. Toad really is the plot. Even Toad of Toad of Toad Hall. Toad of Toad Hall. He's uh, he's rich. He's, he's a police. He's idle. A, idle. He's got he got I, idle money. Which he's frittering away on things. Yeah, I think Rat is quite new money, whereas Toad is clearly old money. If, if, if we're looking at a telescoping of the world, then that's probably exactly what he was going for. Yeah. Um, <coughs> he, he flits like a gadfly from... Interest to interest. Interest to interest. First, it was, was it was some, there was some kind of sport? Was it, was it croquet or...? There's a few. The first one, the first time we hear of him, <coughs> and here's the second interesting little link. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you remember... Stephen Jarvis in our Pickwick episode telling us about that inst- uh, illustration of Mr. Pickwick on a yes. punt. Oh, yeah, he's a, yeah. Uh, the first reference to Toad is... Um, a bit it, of a punt. He was all about punting. Yeah. <laughs> um, punt of punt hall, more like. <laughs> uh, but he, he writes that off as... By the time we meet him, he's gone through a few more fads um, yeah. and is into... <clears throat> Motor cars. No, he's not. not oh, yet. not yet. Not he's yet. into caravanning. Caravanning, that's caravanning. what it was. There is a better word for that. It's not really a caravan. It's more like a big... Um, I, well, I'm going to say gypsy caravan because there are literally gypsies in it. Yes. So I'm clear, aren't I? Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I, I, I think if, if we're talking about talking about primary sources, we've mm. got to use what the primary source is. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't think there exists a modern equivalent of whatever. We might run into a road bump with that um, 
policy if we start doing the works of Conrad. If I run into a road bump, all the spokes will come off our wooden wheels as well. Yeah, that's true. Nice, nice to get us Thank back on track. Yeah. And he is, uh, yeah, he's he's quite an uh, he's clearly got quite an addictive personality. There is um, when he is <clears throat> his friends intervene, and uh, when his motor car stage a natural intervention, a yeah. literal in- intervention, and his, I mean, when he's locked away, he does seem to kind of have withdrawal symptoms or he seems like a child who's denied a toy video games yeah. or something well it's like um he, he he just uses various things lying around to pretend he's driving his car yeah, yeah. in fact i've got a reading i've reading note. so uh ratty moly and badger have locked him up in his own house um, for his own good he's under house arrest basically and they're and they're keeping watch on him each animal took it in turns to sleep in toad's room at night and they divided the day up between them at first toad was undoubtedly very trying to his careful guardians when his violent paroxysms possessed him, he would arrange bedroom chairs in a rude resemblance of a motor car and would crouch on the foremost of them, bent forward and staring fixedly ahead, making uncouth and ghastly noises until the climax was reached, when, turning a complete somersault, he would lie prostrate amidst the ruin of the chairs, apparently completely satisfied for the moment. As time passed, however, these painful seizures grew gradually less frequent and his friends strove to divert his mind into fresh channels but his interest in other matters did not seem to revive and he grew apparently languid and depressed. Very much like someone on a bit of a come down. Absolutely. They're always somersaulting. <laughs> so it's interesting that the, um, the characters as anthropomorphic animals do retain some of their animalistic abilities. Yeah. And there's also, but contrary to that, one of the oddest things about Toad is right at the end, there's a line where he um, is getting ready for a party and he combs and washes his hair. God, that messed me up a little bit. I just try and f- picture that. Picture him with hair. All this long, we've got, had Mr. Toad, and then suddenly he combs and washes his hair. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and made me seriously uncomfortable with the character of Toad. It is weird, isn't it? It's very weird. So we've got Toad, and then the last one must be Badger. Badger. Yeah. My um, personal favourite character. Quite a scary one. But... An intimidating character. Intimidating, but not scary, no, I'd say. No, not scary. Because I think... So if you've got you've got Moly as a sort of audience insert recluse finding his way in the world, mm. you've got Ratty as a sort of debonair, easygoing, man in of control leisure. of his situation, man of leisure. Toad, addictive, compulsive. Badger just wants to be left alone. But mm. the few friends that he has, He's he would to. do anything for. Mm. Including yeah. taking Toad to one side. And telling him these... Uh, this is why I said he was scary. I'll tell you some facts about yourself. Come into the room. Come into this room, Toad, and I'll tell you some facts, facts about, about yourself. yourself. Yeah. I live in fear of someone saying that. <laughs> that I think that sounds, that, that sounds like a natural intervention. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, where does the... Um, final link yeah. to... Uh, oh. uh, amongst the characters. Who does this sound like? I think this is Mole talking... But you can tell from Badger's reaction that he agrees. Once well underground, he said, you know exactly where you are. Nothing can happen to you and nothing can get at you. You're entirely your own master and you don't have to consult anybody or mind mind what they say. Things go on all the same overhead and you let them and don't bother about them. When you want to, up you go and there there things are waiting for you. The Badger simply beamed on him. Yeah. I think that's... It's a bit Nemo-y, isn't it? It's a bit Nemo-y, but Badger and Mole definitely have some similar interests in how they like to live their lives. They're in the underground gang. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Cool, so that's our four characters. Those are four characters. Do you want to play a quick game? I know it's one of the serious episodes and we don't do games. Oh, we've got a quiz. We usually keep it for for file papers. Well, it's a a family belief that you can... It is possible to characterise anyone you meet by ascribing to them badger, mole, toad or rat. And so I was going to throw a few familiar names at you and see if we draw the same conclusions. Okay. Ned Land. Who is the Canadian harpoonist from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? That's a ratty. Ratty? Oh, no, no, no. That's a toad. Oh, interesting. I think... think... I've put Craven an obvious mole. Really? Yeah. I thought, because this is the interesting thing about the game, is it it throws surprising... Because all he does is want to be back on land. But but he he also has a distinct obsession with harpooning in but the same way but it's a single obsession that's true in the same way that mole wants to be wants to adventure but also wants it to stop when it gets too much <laughs> and ned land sort of wants adventure for the first 30 seconds <laughs> of Twenty Thousand leagues and anyway anyway on. next one dr johnson dr johnson is a that's a badger correct that's what i thought yeah. not not correct correct mr pickwick mr pickwick i think this was the hardest one Mr. Pickwick's a ratty. I thought ratty. I, I went, in the end, a subtle toad. A subtle toad. Yeah. I'd have said he was a ratty. Because he does flit. He, he he does flit, but he always does seem to be, appear in control. Yeah. But he's not. But He, he gives, gets he, undone. He also ends up in prison. That's true. He does. He has a lot more in common with toad now that you think about it. But anyway. Next. Last one. Oh, no. Second last one. Nemo. Nemo. Nemo's a badger. Well, I put badger trying to be a rat. He is a badger <laughs> uh-huh. in the eyes of our, in, of, from the reader's perspective. Mm. But if you took him on his own word and saw him with his, in his own world... He's a badger. He's a rat. In you his think? own world. A rat in he's, his own... He's the helpful, debonair, master of ceremonies. But all he wants to do is burrow underground and be left alone. Ultimately, he's yeah. a badger. Uh, Boswell. Boswell. Boswell's definitely rat. Well, I put Toad trying to be a rat. <laughs> Because, I have a, because I have a feeling of what we're, we're... you told me about him. Because uh-huh. if reading the book we read, um, the journals, mm-hmm. he comes across as completely as a rat. Mm-hmm. But in his private life, in his private life, bit of a toad is a disaster. And also with the the amount of books that he drops that he's writing mm. that he never completes, compulsive obsessive. That's, I feel like we're playing two. Toad. We're playing two very separate games, though. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Anyway, that's that game. That's that game. Played at home. And um, if nothing else, this was a subtle advert for all those previous episodes, which you haven't listened to. Go and check out. <laughs> Male companionship, Adam. It's back and it means business. And once again, we pick a book that we didn't quite realise was as related to it's the others. It's quite as heavy on the, the male companionship as this is. It's an odd one, though, because even though it's quite clearly male companionship, mm-hmm. it's also sexless. Wind There's Willow. no notion Wind of the Willows is a sexless world. I think Kenneth Graham actually said it's got nothing <clears throat> uh, dirty or sex-related in it. it no, not even close. Like that. Um, but the friends look out for each other in a way that's very, very tender. Yeah. But also a little intrusive. Like yes. the intervention, which, you know, Toad, Toad is... They stage an intervention on Toad when he is spending lots of his money mm-hmm. and I suppose endangering his life but it it doesn't feel like he's going to kill himself he has ended know? up in hospital a couple of times with the the motor racing does he end up in hospital he ends up in hospital so I think there oh is... yes yes because um and I, sorry to interrupt but there's there's that line about uh 
uh, Mole says to him, so you, you, you'll, you'll get away from all those hospitals and you'll never have to put up with any yeah. female nurses. And that's one of the only references to women. Yeah. We've picked another one with no reference to women. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of women in it, but... Well, the, um, there's, the, there's the jailer's daughter. Jailer's daughter. There's also the washerwoman, the bargewoman. His housekeeper. Yeah. By him. Toad's housekeeper gets one mention. We never see her. Yeah, well, there's these... Um, I don't know what kind of story Kenneth Graham was trying to write for his child. I don't know if it was meant to have a moral or a mm. message or if it was just meant to be an immersive story told in an immersive world. Because I think it's it's impossible for an author to not imprint a little bit of their own life experience into their work. Yes. So I think that... And I think even harder when you haven't got a lot of work. Yes. I think that the way I read it, before you telling me that it was it was evolved out of letters to his son, I had assumed it was a sort of commentary on England. I think that's how people have read it. Yeah. But I, I mean, see, I say even less when it's only one thing they've written but actually what i mean by that is that it's more likely that we'll think that if they've only written one yeah. thing we'll take it as autobiography and it it's maybe unfair but from what i read of kenneth graham he's not like other authors in that i think he quite openly he wrote about this childhood um house he lived at i think it was in scotland i've forgotten mm. the name of it but uh he had he was parents had a quite a troubled life and mm-hmm. marriage and he ended up being taken away from it and that became the focus of all of his nostalgia and he said something like oh you know the countryside never was quite the same they're just a few poor acres now yeah whereas there it was all sort of this permanent sunny eden well shall we talk about um english pastoral writing hang on one sec because i want to talk about food but we'll get on (laughs) brilliant Uh, i just want to um there's a really weird bit uh so i just on the male companionship thing i mean it's Hard not to read Rat and Mole as a like an, an elderly couple. They they read to me like two old friends who've been friends forever. Yeah. And one wouldn't quite know what to do without the other. Each yeah. of them leans on the other to make up for deficiencies in their own character. Yeah, perhaps both widowed if they're not in an, a relationship themselves. It's Molly with his obsessive cleaning strikes me as... I'm um, uh, someone who's not been left on their own yeah. for a while. I, I wonder, I, it clearly wasn't the intention, but why, if all we know of his character, did he suddenly decide to leave then and now? Mm. The whole lifetime of no compulsive action taken. Why then? You know, but... Because, oh, we'll get to that. But Rat also has a breakdown, if if it is a breakdown yeah. at first from Mel, but we'll, we'll get onto that. I just wanted to read this bit because it's... Uh, Mole makes a fool of himself by uh, overturning the boat. quite early on but the rat kindly looked in the other direction away from his tears and presently the mole spirits revived again and he was even able to give some straight back talk to a couple of more hens who were sniggering to each other about his bedraggled appearance (laughs) Hmm. i got a i I got a final say on the water rat and water vole thing they're the same thing oh a water a water rat's just another name for water vole so he is a water vole but a water vole is a water but a water vole is known as a water rat yes ah well that kind of makes sense you were right and uh, you were right too. How lovely. Yeah. Okay. Well done us. <laughs> well done us. Now shall we open the luncheon hamper? <laughs> uh, speaking, oh, speaking of food. Yeah, let's get into what that. A, what, a, what, what another book we've chosen with decadent descriptions of. I know. So there's the there's the quite famous luncheon hamper where Moly ends up having to scream like, stop, stop. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, we've got cold tongue, cold beef, cold ham. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it, it revolves very Boswell and Johnson like about food, food to food. Well, there's the um, there's the descriptions of the the meals served at Toad Hall. Uh, yeah, there's a little uh, when Ratty and Molly return to Molly's burrow, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of a sly, I think, quite bitchy air about Ratty. He, he sort of says, some "What a lovely little house, so compact, so well planned." <laughs> it's like someone who's sort of saying, "You've got quite a small house, haven't you, Molly?" Yeah, but. You're, you're, you've got a figure that actually hides a few extra pounds, um, but uh, that suit's so well tailored you almost couldn't tell. <laughs> uh, but again, what does this sound like? Speaking of Ned Land, this is Toad on his adventures, and he uh, he swaps a horse for a couple of shillings and mm-hmm. some breakfast. He tilted up the pot, and a glorious stream of hot, rich stew gurgled into the plate. It was indeed the most beautiful stew in the world, being made of get get this. Partridges and pheasants and chickens and hares and rabbits and peahens and guinea fowls and one or two other things. Beautiful. I mean, not only excessive amount of multiple animals, mm-hmm. but also ethically a bit curious. It is interesting. Because we could meet Mr. Hare, Mr. Pheasant, Mr. Guinea Fowl. Well, the, um, In fact, we do meet rabbits. None of, none of, the, well, of, of the main characters, the only one who's a predator is Badger. Yeah, toads shouldn't really eat pheasants. <laughs> <laughs> toads not, um, not normally aren't large enough to get a pheasant down. No, or have hair. I mean, maybe pheasants, toads that eat pheasants grow hair. Well, this is something that has to be looked into. Yeah, we'll get, maybe, maybe, get, we'll maybe, get in touch with the family. Maybe by another podcast. Yeah. But yes, there's a lot of joyous food writing. Kenneth Graham said uh, in that same quote about, you know, there's nothing dirty about it and there's no second meaning. Uh, it's just an expression of the simplest joys in life. Food, friendship. Food, friendship. Reclaiming your property from an army of woodland creatures. I don't quite believe him, though, but I, and we'll get on to why. But yeah. this, there's a, a bit more. Go- it, it wouldn't stand the test of time if it was just, I love food and friendship. Yeah. You know. Uh, oh, and the songs, delightful songs. Oh, yes. Up Tales All. Yep. Do you, incidentally, do you sing when you read? I think. Can you help? Can you with, stop yourself? With, with this particular book, the songs from the adaptations are so imprinted in my mind that I would just hear that. You just hear them, yeah. I, I'd have to think a little bit more carefully about if it was in another. Like, do you generally sing when you read? I, f- I, I found it really hard. I, I noticed that I, I sang will, a lot. I, I will look for. If, if there's an obvious rhythm, mm. I think I will sing. Out loud? In my head. But I think, yeah. It doesn't even have to be what's on the page. I'll just sing. Just sing. Because I remember the first time I read, I keep talking about The Hobbit today, but when I first spoke about The Hobbit and they have Thorin's song about the Misty Mountains, I think that was another one that was so firmly lodged in my head by the radio adaptation that we used to listen to. That you couldn't not. That I couldn't not, yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to try and make up a tune, even the, the carol in this. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember if they'd used it fully in the adaptation that I used to watch as a kid, uh-huh. which is an amazing stop motion, which I should have looked up the name of the director so people could watch it. It's interesting that we both watched distinctly different adaptations. Yeah, so yours was what? Mine's was hand-drawn animation. Hand-drawn animation, okay, yeah. Mine's stop. It's stop almost, almost like watercolour, actually. It was a really? very be- It was kind of like watership down. Oh, okay, yeah. Very beautiful. What was that other... We're going way off topic, but what was that wild animal um, animated series... It's about a wood. The animals of... Farthing Wood. Farthing Wood. Yeah. yeah. That was a... Does it look like that? It looked a bit more like... There was... They, they animated some of the Beatrix Potters. Uh, okay. And it looked a little bit like that. Very... 
low movement, and when the movement moved, they blurred, kind of like yeah. watercolor. It's a very interesting style, and probably done as cost saving. Yeah, but it worked really, really well. I remember specifically the opening. There's some like bull rushes that fade out to yeah. Molly and Ratty on their on their budge, but. Oh, it was really beautiful. I I would love to rediscover it. Actually, we should, maybe we should do a live podcast where we rewatch. Do these. a do a do a riff tracks yeah. of the wind in the willows. <laughs> do a DVD commentary. Yeah, yeah, because I'm sure they'll be selling loads of them at the moment. I bet we could sell yeah. one. The year read this wind in the willows commentary for both animated versions. Thanks, mum. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's the same. It's that when I re- remember that one, and I haven't seen it in years and years and years. You, you remember certain. It's, the nostalgia of Kenneth Graham's kind of come full circle because I remember uh, yeah. certain like the satisfaction of how the snow drifts look oh, yeah. or the way that because it w- I don't think any of the animated animals had hair in the same way that some stop motion actually animate hair. Yeah, they just had sculpted stuff and the satisfaction of that. I feel like this personal nostalgia that each of us has probably universal is part of the enduring success of mm. Wind in the Willows everybody even if everyone hasn't read it it's one of those ones where the story is basically universally known Mm. you know the characters just by looking at them as well yeah i think it's definitely one of the better examples of archetypal writing yeah at least from that time and yet we should you know usually my instincts are like tell you to to guard yourself against nostalgia Mm -hmm. and i think it probably didn't work out very well personally Mm -hmm. for kenneth graham it created this but for the enduring the enduring success of his estate yeah i think that it was worth it wind, wind in the willows is pure nostalgia mm. did i mention that the original title was wind in the reeds i thought not it half was, as good is it not half as was, was there not another was it not called something else as well like whistling willows or something oh i don't know i have but a feeling wind it went in the through... reeds is a, a book of poems by yates Okay. And so that's why I didn't call it Wind in the Reeds. But if you notice... Wind in the Willows is much it, better alliteration as well. Much better. But bull reeds, the, the reeds turn up a lot more than the willows. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, there's, a, there's, I think, at least two times where wind is, you know, wind is whistling through the reeds. So he, he was clearly focused on that the reeds, title. Yeah. Um, I wonder when he was told, no, you can't have it. So this, what, let's describe the kind of world that has these, the wind running through the willows. It is... Th- English pastoral. It is the English and microscopic. Microscopic. So it's a microcosm of England as a as a an acre of countryside. Mm. It's like the it's like the hundred acre wood. It's an idealized version of the cover of a an English pastoral book in the nineteen tens. It yeah. looks like a painting of a farm scene. Mm-hmm. All of these things are the feeling that Wind in the Willows evokes, where it's the river, the the house. Yeah, it's very small, but every detail of it is perfect and trimmed with nostalgia as well. They're probably mm. nostalgic for this even back in the nineteen tens. Yeah, there's no no work. We it may be unfair to call Toad idle because all of them are idle. All of them are idle. Well, some of them have jobs. The um, washerwoman has a job. Yeah, but she's human. Yeah, we'll get to. No. We'll, I'm coming to humans very quickly. Okay. But, um, yeah, no bank, just a river bank. <laughs> um, and yet they have a strange sense of duty because they tell T- Toad he's wasting his time. But Badger sleeps for half of the year. <laughs> Mole just tidies the same sort of small, tiny little burrow, com- compact house. And Rat composes dog roll <laughs> <laughs> and I, eats fine wine and eats eats uh, cheese and fine wine. I think 
oh god, this is this this these these are all very hot takes. Yeah, but I feel like with a book published in 1908, they could not be hot. Strike the strike while the iron <laughs> is frozen. Yeah, um, it's it, it's an idealized look at life of a certain kind of life of a certain time, mm-hmm. English countryside life. In the kind of life that I think Kenneth Graham, having moved from a city working into a bank to the countryside, was probably looking for. Yeah, and it's it's peaceful, but there is there is danger out there. There's a strange kind of etiquette. A few times it comes up, but he knew from animal etiquette that you uh, something like you don't dwell on trouble ahead. Hmm. It's like it's like the sort of law of the forest. It's also a bit like the rule of English repression. Yes, don't talk about trouble. Keep your head down. Keep your head down. Don't show your emotions. Um, It'll be fine. Everything will revolve around having a nice time, getting to dinner on time. Uh, The sun will come up tomorrow. The sun will come up tomorrow, even if you live in a burrow. Also, I I don't know if we're going to get to this now or later, but God turns up at one point as well. Oh, we will get to that, yeah. Yeah, because that kind of turns this whole bit on its head. Yeah. Um, So outside of this (coughs) safe little pastoral heaven, Mm -hmm. there is the wild wood. Um, Ratty says, "Beyond the wild wood comes the wide world." Um, I've never going to that. I'm and I, I've never been, and I'm never going. Don't refer to it again, please. Is is, is that a comment on English isolationism? Quite, quite possibly. But it, if so, it also seems to be kind of how Kenneth Graham felt. I'm assuming the way he felt was probably how a lot of people felt at the turn of the century. We're risking a completely biographical uh, reading here, but we are. It's possible that you know. He on one hand felt that, and mm-hmm. on on another, thought that was yeah. short sighted. Because the um the 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 wild wood is full of known danger, but the wider world is full of unknown danger. Mm. So I'm assuming it's a sort of devil you know kind of a attitude to the their world. Yes, yeah. I don't know why I've written that this down here, but incidentally, it's the third book we've talked about to feature authors. Oh. So just in case we've run out of steam on slightly picaresque male companionship adventure novels we were going and also, Edinburgh things, we can claim, actually, I'll, I'll cut ot- this out. It was otters the entire time. I won't time. let them hear this. Really, we've just been doing otter books. <laughs> uh, we, get, we do get this strange cameo from the outside world that I mentioned earlier, this sea rat oh, that yeah. comes to visit and precipitates a kind of breakdown in Ratty, which yes. is weird. But I just thought I'd describe this, this bit because it's, it's more food and... Um, Basically, this sea rat rocks up mm-hmm. and says, um, "Yeah, it starts telling uh, boring uh, Ratty with his life, mm-hmm. and uh, then demands to be fed. And then when Ratty says, "Yeah, come round, I'll uh, I'll make you some supper," like going yeah. the extra mile for a stranger, he says, "I'll oh, just bring it out here if you would." Yeah, which is I, di- I didn't like the sea rat. Um, it's an excellent suggestion, says the water rat, who just bends over, uh, and hurried off home. There he got out the luncheon basket and packed a simple meal, in which, remembering the stranger's origin and preferences, he took care to include a yard of long French bread, a sausage, out of which the garlic sang, some cheese which lay down and oh. cried, and a long-necked straw-covered flask, wherein lay bottled sunshine, sh- uh, sorry, wherein lay bottled sunshine shed and garnered on far southern slopes. Thus laden, he returned with all speed and blushed for pleasure at the old seaman's commendations of his taste and judgment. For a man who'd never written before, Kenneth Graham really knew how to write. Mm. Incidentally, have you ever made a rat blush? Is it possible? Would you have to shave it first? <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that there. <laughs> Yeah, so after that, he has a breakdown. I think Ratty, who's all been, um, 
you know, uh, don't go beyond the wild wood. Mm -hmm. I'm never going out to the wide world. He sort of has this weird dazed moment after the sea rat leaves. He, he could be just drunk. But uh, Moley comes back and he says his eyes weren't his eyes anymore and he was ranting and raving and then they actually kind of wrestle. He seems to have a kind of fit. Could it be the idea that it's a regret? Yeah, I think maybe. He, he's been so stubbornly against ever leaving his riverbank and I think the sea meeting rat turns the sea up rat... And tells him everything about all the amazing things there are out there. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, it, it, it's the... Um... There's probably a better phrase for it. There's a sort of like the Carl, Carl Pilkington effect. <laughs> when, when, when they did Idiot Abroad, they took a man with very simple pleasures and showed him the wide world. And at the end of that first season of Idiot Abroad, they took him like by the normal caravan holiday he did. And he just didn't enjoy it anymore. Because mm. he's like, it's just, not, it's just not much, is it, compared to the Great Wall of China or India? <laughs> It's like they've taken a man of very simple pleasures. Yeah, shown destroyed him, him. Shown him the world they didn't, he didn't want to see, and now he can never go back. And now he doesn't have a, a rat's eyes anymore, and he's yeah. being wrestled by a mole. <laughs> you were talking about his writing. Mm -hmm. um, he seems to have a real liking for anthropomorphizing the landscape. Yes. So, um, flowers sort of go and look at their reflection mm -hmm. um he really likes uh purple loose strife he refers to that a few times well, but this is my favorite uh the reserved rustic road was presently joined by a shy little brother in the shape of a canal which took its hand and ambled along it by its side in perfect confidence but with the same tongue-tied uncommunicative attitude towards strangers it's really that nice. comes out of nowhere it's lovely isn't it it's really nice but it gives you that exact feeling of a sort of unplanned but perfect countryside yeah. Like it's not it's not curated or landscaped. It's just the way it is and it's perfect like that. It also has a it, it makes everything a character or a spirit. Mm. Well, you know? I think the, the the countryside is as much a character as the other four. Mm. But you could almost be like that's that's the road. Yeah. That's the river yeah. and it behaves this way today. Yeah. Um oh, so humans. Humans. Weird. What role do humans have in this world? Uh, it's baffling. What size are they compared to the animals? That's a good place to start. Yeah. Well, clearly they're the same size because yes. Toad wears the clothes of a human. Yep. Well, um, they, all, they all wear the clothes of a human. I mean, literally a clothes he borrows off yeah. a human. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. He could, I mean, in an animal world, I guess he could have like an animal tailor. Which animal would be the tailor, do you think? Oh, what was the, um, who was, who was the tailor in the Beatrix Potter? It was a mouse. Mouse, yeah. It yeah. would be mice that flow all over you. Uh, let's what, talk about Bojack Horseman. Okay. <laughs> in in Bojack Horseman, acclaimed Netflix animated TV show. Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor. Half of the population of the world are anthropomorphic animals, and it's never touched on. Yeah. Like, it's not important. Half of them are animals. It's a base for animal puns and visual gags. Mm. You know, octopuses have jumpers that have eight armholes. It doesn't matter. This is a world that has half animals. Is it the same in Wind of the Willows? There are some animals and there are some humans. It doesn't matter. No, I don't think it is. Um, there's a weird... The only bit that comes close, you would think, to describing the history of it is Badger makes a reference to the fact that his borough network used to be a city of humans. But it was, it's oh, long gone. Oh, I love gone. that. I love that idea. And it's kind of... Um, I don't know, it sounds like Roman ruins, basically. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, that would make more sense if there were no humans around and we assumed that this was some kind of post-human uh, New Eden. But the humans are there. But the humans are there. And there's, not, there's not even any sort of aggression either. 
Well, no, there is. Oh, God, uh, no, There's yeah. an odd moment where Ratty and Mole are walking through... They have to come back through a town, a town of implicitly humans, yeah. of humans. And uh, Rat says, don't worry, we'll, um, they'll, they're, they're all safely indoors at this time of year. We won't suffer any unpleasantness. We'll slip through unnoticed. Unpleasantness? Just odd, isn't it? Do the human... And re- they refer to their dogs as well. That's so strange. That's like a Goofy and Pluto thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we could try and figure it out like there's a proper answer. It, could, it could be uh, inconsistency. I don't think... I don't think I think we've spent more time thinking about it than Gen- Kenneth Graham probably did. Perhaps, yeah. I think he 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 thought of the animals and the humans as different aspects of humans, and when he had to write around issues, he wrote it from the perspective of a human. Mm-hmm. Where if animals had to go through some humans, they'd be thinking about their dogs and being bothered by the humans. Yeah, but that's only when they encroached into the animals' world. You yeah, know? I don't think I it's Im- it's not important to the plot, but it is a strange inconsistency. Why not make them all animals? Why not make them all humans? Yeah. Well, I mean, it might just be too tiresome. In an, uh, you mean, unlike BoJack Horseman, where all, all, you can make uh, the editor of Penguin a, a penguin. penguin, and it's an easy visual gag, and it requires yeah. no um, words. Yeah. Every time a, a you know a judge came up, he would have to say a judge who was a caribou. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, it would it would get yeah. fiddly, I guess. Easier for a judge just to be a judge. The 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 most direct human animal interaction is the uh, toad and the niece of a washerwoman in yeah. jail. And there's a one bit where because she try, she takes a liking to toad and tries to let him escape, uh, and Toad feels this growing tenderness towards her and begins to regret the social gulf between them. Oh my god. And it's god, weird because you start of. you start thinking, well, is that the social gulf between humans and animals because she's way above you? Or is or this because you're Toad gulf, of Toad Hall? And, and she's, she's a washerwoman's niece. Yeah. Uh honestly, I'm gonna assume it was the, the class. If, I think it's the class. If yeah. it was a if it's a book written in Britain, it's probably gonna be it's the probably class. It's probably class, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, and just to confuse things more before we leave the uh hierarchy. Toad has a horse. I leave that there. <laughs> I think. I think. I. I. I, I want. I want. A, I want a moment on that. Actually, the, yeah. um I, I recently read into why Goofy, where Goofy walks around wearing clothes, and Pluto is Mickey's dog. Yeah. And there is an actual reason for it. There is a a type of cartoon character, and they're called Funny Animals, capital F, capital A, and Funny Animals are animals that are cartoon-like. Yeah. Pluto is a funny animal. Or is it? No, Goofy is a funny animal where there are dogs, but Goofy's a funny animal dog. Yeah. So it's like they're two completely separate things. And I think that's how Disney have sort of sidestepped the Pluto seems to be entirely okay with his own subservience. Maybe it's a kink thing. Who knows? Well, with Disney, I'd assumed it was just a racist thing. (laughs) Um, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Why does... Why does God turn up in this book? So we, I th- we've skirted over lots of elements of the book. I assume most people are going to be familiar with them. If you haven't read Wind in the Willows or you just haven't read it in ages, you might have actually forgotten this bizarre little episode that comes towards the end of the book. But frankly, you could drop it in anywhere because, because it's, it's completely so self-contained. The the, yeah. It's almost like a short story. Yeah, it is. Graham was into paganism. It's a good yes. place to start. He's a neo-pagan. Uh, and there is one explicit reference to kind of pagan mm-hmm. practice 
possibly, in when Ratten Ratty goes with his brace of pistols to rescue Mole from the wild wood. Mm-hmm. He says, ne- you know, ne- when you come into the wild wood, you shouldn't just blunder in like this. You need to learn these passwords and mutter these verses and travel with certain plants in your pocket. Yes. This basically sounds kind of... Very pagan. Very pagan. Um, but, with, but with paganism come pagan gods. Mm. And with pagan gods comes the god Pan turning up in Wind in the Willows. Yeah. Which I'd completely forgotten about. So Otter... Mm-hmm. Has lost his child. We are told yep. she's gone um, AWOL. AWOL. Uh, and <laughs> Mole and Ratty absent, absent without Otter leave. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mole and Ratty go on his boat to go and search the river to try and find him, and they have this. They start hearing this beautiful and painful music. It's so beautiful, it's painful, mm-hmm. uh, and enter this sort of kind of trance where they follow the music and find the god Pan yep. sheltering the little otter. Uh, and then they, they, t- they, they kneel yep. and, and worship Pan. The, the otter is left with them and he, he's vanished and they forget. But the most interesting thing is as soon as it's over, they, they forgot, forget it yeah. and they drift off. And because it would be too terrible to uh, remember how uh, magical a moment it was. It's like a... Oh. It's such a strange inclusion in this children's book. Then this this is when we have to start talking about Kenneth Graham saying there's no secondary meaning to anything in this book. Yeah, I think it's the most astonishing bit in the book. It's it's if say since we were talking about humans, if Mister Toad, Mister Mole, Mister Badger were all people mm-hmm. with animal names, and their entire lives which with the exception of Toad, they do revolve around staying safe, having meals on time, f- friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we would write this off as, as you know, a tedious kind of depressing English isolationism. Um, you know, these lives that revolve around such trivial Very things. basic needs, yeah. What this bit does is remind you the fact that the, when they're so kind of moved by this... Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, it, it's, it's re- it just comes across like a description of one, a moment in life which just makes everything defies seem description beautiful. as well, yeah. Yeah, and defies description. What makes it moving, though, is that because they're rats and badgers and toads and not just a mister, mm-hmm. um, that reminds you that, you know, every time you hear badger, you think badger cull or rat trap yeah. or mole skin. Yeah. Um, and it, it means something that they always want to be safe. Yeah. I mean, we don't see them constantly trapped. There's these hints. Yes. But the, 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 we don't see them sort of treated like they're treated in the real world. But that moment kind of made me think about it. And I think if, if you know, that had just been a moment of dazzling, uh, a dazzling vision given mm. to just four English blokes, it, yeah. it wouldn't have meant much. If Mr. Pickwick had that moment, it would have been anomalous. And and, it, and a bit, it would have been very in line with Dickens sort of shoehorning his own stuff into the middle of his fiction. Yeah, but it wouldn't have meant half as much, I don't think. No, it wouldn't have. I'm, I'm still thinking about why it was there. When I first read it, I was like, this, this is so out of place. I can't... It's like Buddha turning up in a Mr. Man book. <laughs> but it's like... The, the Mr. More, Sit. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Strong speaks in tongues. But um, I, I, I see it... I think it's very connected to writing about the idealized countryside yeah i think he 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 felt that i haven't i haven't put it strong enough 
Yeah, because if um, Tom Thomas Hardy writes about the, the countryside and how godly it is and how it's, you know, a creation of God and it's paradise on earth. Mm. What, what do I mean then? More like a kind of... Like like the, the the countryside, the English countryside of this type and of this, the way it's written is a sort of heavenly vision. Mm, yeah. The idea that if Kenneth Graham, as someone who's interested in paganism, has inserted a god into his book, I think it's just to round off that vision of this being almost otherworldly or divine. Yeah, I, I think specifically Pan was a bit in fashion. Mm-hmm. But I think really for Pan, read nature. Yeah. And 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 the the point is to is to... Because, I mean, there's even a capitalised him. Mm. We shall... I, I'm not afraid of him, says Ratty, I think. Yeah. And then he says, oh, but I am afraid. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's very much saying, you know, this is this is a, a deity to worship. But I think it might as well be capital N nature yeah. as much as capital P Pan. Well, but then that ties into what they were saying earlier about just the laws and the social norms and all this stuff of the forest and of nature. Yeah. Things that all animals should be aware of. Yeah. And and they're not necessarily the the one and only that like we were talking about them earlier, mm-hmm. but they are um, unities to respect mm-hmm. or or kind of I don't know what spiritual properties almost yeah. respect the river yeah. or or li- coexist with the river the yeah. badger the forest. But then we need to talk about the one part of the book that doesn't coexist with nature, which is Toad Hall. Yeah, or, Toad, or Toad Toad Hall and and the plot of Toad. I Toad lives unnaturally. Mm. Rat, ratty lives in something in the, the river He lives bank. in style, but he lives on the riverbank. Molly lives in a burrow. Badger lives in a set. Bigger burrow. Bigger burrow. Toad lives in a Georgian country house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With a kitchen, with a pantry, with a place for his... Yeah, place for his cars. And I think it's time to talk about Toad. Yeah. But I think... the, the, the time for the Toad to come home? Time for the Toad to... Be, told in the hole yeah but it's um yeah the, the the plot of this book which we've masterfully avoided talking about is toad is toad toad the loss of toad hall and the recapture of toad hall from the denizens of the wildwood and previously the uh, capture of t- the escape of toad and the arrest of toad and the adventures of toad what's toad doing when toad's not there people should be asking well when toad when doing? toad's not there it is pretty much picaresque yeah and and pickwick-esque it's it's um, these two wandering about having two wandering about so. having jollies you know yeah. and and they do have there is a you could say there's definitely there is a plot with uh their changing perspectives on how insular you should be do you want to do a do you want to do a plot summary then for toad yeah so toad when we first meet toad he's into gypsy caravanning yep uh his gypsy caravan gets run down by a motor car he sits in the middle of the road um, staring at it, Ratty and Molly try and help him up, but his mind is elsewhere. Yeah. He has seen his new passion, poop, poop, time to get into motor cars. Uh, he then, we hear from a distance that he goes through a few. Yes. Um, and crashes them or buys more, ends up in hospital, attended by horror of horrors, female nurses. Yeah. Uh, and then as Ratty and Mole continue their potterings, they end up in the wild wood, they meet Badger, they tell Badger, and Badger says, come spring, when I'm done sleeping, uh, we'll go and stage an intervention. They do, they lock him up, he escapes, he goes to a pub, um, and he steals a motor car, and then he's arrested, thrown in prison, 
escapes from prison dressed as a washerwoman, has a few other adventures, including that uh, uh, gypsy um, meal. Yeah. Oh, and also that barge woman. Uh, there's a really funny moment where the bar- he he ends up on a barge woman. He's still dressed up as a washerwoman, pretending uh, to, to, that he is a that he can wash clothes, and he talks about his proficiency at washing and how brilliant he is at it and the washerwoman says uh, oh well i i haven't had time to wash with that husband of mine who goes off with that dog of his who's even worse that's another weird yeah. animal human moment because it's like well does that mean they're two mates like a guy and a dog yeah or does that mean that he owns a dog and his dog is going like come on mate since you got married to that bird you've been so boring let's let's you're go right, you've been doing washing non-stop yeah come on let's go tie one on yeah do a bit of speed or something um makes it back to Toad hall yes makes it back to no he doesn't he makes oh. it back to ratty's oh yes because and ratty says terrible news for toad uh toad hall has been flooded with weasels it's been invaded by weasels <laughs> um and his friends in the meantime mole and badger have been keeping a patrol and basically um, trying to keep the weasel invasion contained. Imp- I don't really know what the implied, point is. Implied guerrilla warfare with the weasels. Yeah, yeah. But no gorillas. No. There's, yeah, there's some sh- shockingly few jungle animals. That would have been a great moment. <laughs> it's sort of a, a, a typical hero's adventure, kind of. Yeah. Um, bit Plato-y, uh, yeah. shedding off all of his his bodily attachments and then returning with nothing. Yeah. And then he and his friends conquer Toad Hall and he still has a couple of lessons to learn because yeah. he wants to throw a, a party and do lots of songs. There's a little bit of little bit of Three Musketeers in there as well. Mm. Sort of daring do. And the fight scene itself yeah. is... Um, it sort of it makes you wonder why they had to wait for Toad to come back because they, they just trounce. Yeah. They, they basically walk into Toad Hall and... Beat the crap well, they go out through of, a secret tunnel, yeah. but apart from that, the they just beat everyone weasel. up. Yeah, and they I get think, quite vicious as well. well. I think Bad Badger does most of the work. Yeah, but um, Ratty tries to arm them all. You sort of see it like a heist movie mo- montage, yeah. like a pistol for Rat, a pistol for Mole, a pistol for Badger, a pistol for Toad, yeah. a truncheon for Mole. A tr- yeah, yeah. Um, and then Mole, when he goes into fight mode, just. There's a reference to him just he he just shouts a mole a mole as he beats them up, <laughs> which must be terrifying. Yeah, I know. Imagine Im- 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 imagine if you were in that situation. Yeah, and you your mind snapped and you just screamed human <laughs> human ash ash. <laughs> yeah, that is odd. Yeah, um, but they learn them. They learn them. They learn them good and back to the wildwood with them. Back yeah, back to the wildwood with the weasels. Um, toad hole for toads. Yeah, and so Toad Toad learns the obvious lesson. He's told to, you know, rein it in a bit. Stop stealing cars. I mean, it is a bit bittersweet because you do get the impression that he's basically forcing him. He, it doesn't feel like he, of his own accord, has decided to tone it down. He just agrees and he becomes quite kind of, okay, I'll do whatever you like. Well, here's, here's, here's a good time for me to just drop in my book recommendation of the ah, yes. of the of the week, which is a book called Counselling for Toads, which is a very weird and interesting book, which is a follow-up to Wind in the Willows where Mr. Toad goes to therapy. Yeah. And it sounds like it shouldn't be half as good as it is. I was going to say, don't say too much because it's so good. We we could do an episode on it. We could do an episode on it, and we we may well. But until then, 
go get a hold of a copy of Cancelling for Toads and read it because there's nothing else quite like it. Mm. And if you like the idea of a character study of Mr. Toad, yeah. then it's pretty perfect. Yeah. I just thought, just to wrap up, it's not just Toad who uh, <clears throat> changes his ways. This is this is actually quite early on, but it, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's illustrative of the fact that Mole uh, changes as yeah. well. As he hurried along, eagerly anticipating the moment when he would be at home again among the things he knew and liked, the mole saw clearly that he was an animal of tilled field and hedgerow, linked to the ploughed furrow, the lane of evening lingerings, the cultivated garden plot. For others, the asperities, the stubborn endurance or the clash of actual conflict that went with nature in the rough, he must be wise, must keep to the pleasant places in which his lines were laid and which held adventure enough in their way to last for a lifetime. I think that sums up the entire ethos of Wind in the Willows. Yeah. Which is, it might be all rough and tumble out there, but this is our own little corner of nature and we can enjoy it as we see fit. And whilst we can. Yeah. It was a bit of a, a grim end for, um, for Graham. He had a, he had a quite a loveless marriage himself, mm-hmm. quite like his parents. I think his, his wife was a kind of chronic hypochondriac. Okay. Uh, and his son, Mouse... He was had a kind of rough childhood. I think he was half blind, and he had some behavioural issues. So he he used to do things like go and lie out in the street until cars came to make them stop. Um, and whilst he, I think he went to university. Um, and whilst there, he said he didn't want to be called Alistair Graham anymore. He wanted to be called something Robinson the name of the person who shot at his father. Oh, so those letters with all the the content, really, of mm. Wind in the Willows go from my dearest mouse to my dearest Robinson. I can't remember the first name, James Robinson or anything. And eventually he um, uh, killed himself. Good God. Quite young, like 20. And I think that signaled the sort of end of Graham's writing. That is... I had no idea there was such a tragic backstory behind yeah. Wind in the Willows. yeah. Well, the, we're all we're all better off for it existing. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I don't want to. I don't want to end on a on a. Oh no! Same with um, a bit of bittersweet end. Winning the willows, bittersweet end to the podcast. But to wrap up, then, why, in brief, would we recommend Wind in the Willows? Because it's good. Um, <laughs> because there's nothing else quite like it. There's not a lot of enduring children's writing from that no that's period. true and this has probably survived because it's the best and it's surprising as well rereading it there really is quite a lot it's not just the piper at the gates of dawn the 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 style has its eccentricities and hmm. no one no one no one write, no one writes the countryside like kenneth Grimm. no well ear read that ear read that we will be back um poop 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 uh <laughs> we'll be back in a nice new motor car as we crashing fit. directly into a ditch <laughs> crashing straight into a pond <laughs> thank you for listening thank you poop 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 poop